On June 18th, I woke up early in my hotel room in downtown St. Paul, and I walked over to this bland-looking office building. It's where the state's Public Utilities Commission is located. Because after nearly four years of public meetings and comment periods and studies and protests and rallies, it was finally here. The first day of this final round of hearings to decide on the Line 3 oil pipeline. This was the biggest hurdle left, when the state would decide whether to allow this project to be built, this project that's bitterly divided people across northern Minnesota, that people have put their lives on hold to fight. People started lining up at 5.30 for this hearing that wasn't supposed to start until 9.30. By the time I got there at 7, it was obvious. This was no ordinary meeting. There were already over 100 people lined up outside on the block waiting to get in. And you see a total mix of people, of supporters and opponents of the pipeline. You see folks in We Support Safe Energy Transportation, those bright green t-shirts. You see signs, people holding signs saying, Support Line 3, Minnesotans for Line 3. And on the other side, you see signs saying, Stop Line 3, Water is Sacred, Mother Earth. We want safe water for our children's children. People chanted. You can't drink oil. Others sang songs. And a few who had paddled down the Mississippi were there, carrying canoes over their heads through downtown St. Paul at rush hour. But the people there to support the pipeline, the ones in the bright green shirts, they were pretty quiet. For the most part, they just stood in line, waiting to get in. Some even brought lawn chairs. They were all mixed together with people on the other side, people trying to stop this pipeline from getting built. I heard a few testy exchanges, but mostly they hardly said anything to each other for hours. All these people who've been fighting this pipeline for more than three years, people concerned about spills, climate change activists, Native Americans and their allies, they were all there. And so were the people fighting for pipelines, unions fighting for the jobs they provide, industry groups talking up the need for oil to fuel our economy. This is the culmination of years of work on both sides. But at this point, it was up to five state utility regulators to decide the fate of Line 3, the next big target, this latest symbol in the dramatic fight over pipelines. I'm Dan Crocker, and this is the final episode of Rivers of Oil. It's a podcast from Minnesota Public Radio about the pipelines that flow beneath our feet and how they're at the forefront of this growing conflict between the oil we rely on and the risks that oil poses to our planet. And the culmination of all this drama, three years of protests and arrests and rallies, this momentous decision, it takes place in pretty much the most boring place you can possibly imagine. Good morning. Coming through okay? Very good. We are here on June 18th for a meeting of the Minnesota Public Utilities Commission. The Public Utilities Commission meets in this long, narrow room. The five commissioners sit in front. They're all appointed by the governor, and they have different areas of expertise, like law or public policy. Their job is to regulate electric and natural gas utilities and phone and internet and cable companies. They also decide on pipelines, like Line 3. The items on the agenda are docket CN-14-916 and PPL-15-137 involving uh, Enbridge Energy. 
and this case was unlike anything they'd ever seen before. Typically, this room is half empty, even for decisions on controversial issues. On this day, for the first day of these hearings, every seat was taken, and they had to set up two overflow rooms. Because all these issues we've been talking about, the things that have been driving all these passions, spills and jobs and tribal rights and the demand for oil and climate change, they would all come together in these hearings. The PUC basically had two big decisions to make, decisions that could affect the state for the next 50 years or more. First, they had to decide whether Line 3 is needed. And if that answer was yes, then they had to determine what route it should take across the state. Facing the commissioners were representatives for all the parties involved in this decision, Enbridge and tribes and environmental groups and unions and others. Behind them was the crowd. The hearing began with all those parties making their final arguments to the commission. Enbridge started out. First, I want to say we're happy to be here uh, today to discuss this critical Uh, safety and integrity-driven project. This is their attorney, Eric Swanson, and his argument was basically twofold. Line 3 has been operating since the early 1960s, and it's in rough shape. It's cracking, it's corroding, it's had huge spills in the past. And he said a new pipeline would be a lot safer. It'd be made with thicker steel, better technology. Replacing Line 3 comprehensively addresses the known integrity risks and reduces the risk of accidental release before an incident occurs. So, number one, safety. A new pipeline would reduce the chance of a big spill. But opponents also made a safety argument. Even if a new pipeline would be safer, they argued building it is still a bad idea, because Enbridge wants to put it along a different path across the state, and that would open up new areas to the risk of a potential spill. Enbridge's second argument was demand. Refineries want more oil than the company can currently pump through Line 3. So Enbridge wants to build a bigger pipeline, one that could transport nearly twice as much oil from Canada. Current customer demand exceeds current capacity. The record shows apportionment levels of up to 40% in 2017. What that means is that customers are getting 60% of what they're demanding. But again, opponents made a counter-argument. They said Minnesota doesn't need the oil this pipeline would carry. The Minnesota Department of Commerce actually argued that, and so did tribes and environmental groups. The evidence in the record shows that there is no shortage of crude oil in Minnesota or the Midwest. Here's one of their attorneys, Scott Strand. The evidence shows that this region is awash in oil. Consumer demand for refined petroleum products in in this state and this region peaked long ago. Um, and it has been flat or declining over the past decade. So what gives? He argued this oil will mostly just pass through Minnesota to refineries on the Gulf Coast and for export. And here's the thing. Both sides are right. Minnesota refineries are already getting the oil they need, even without a bigger Line 3. But Enbridge is also correct when they say their customers aren't getting all the oil they need because the oil Enbridge transports goes far beyond just Minnesota. The last big point opponents made was about climate change. Hello, my name is Nina Berglund. I'm 18 years old. And that argument came in part from a group called the Youth Climate Interveners, 13 teenagers and 20-somethings who had petitioned to be an official party in the proceedings. I have lost sleep due to organizing, and I have talked on this issue since until my voice has gone. We have poured our hearts and soul into this process, 
and us youth are saying we no longer can accept a society that enforces an oil-based infrastructure. Your decision either denies or assures us a clean and energy-efficient future. The lives of the people affected by this project depend on each and every one of you. There were a couple hours of these impassioned opening arguments, but then the vibe in the room changed. And for another three and a half days, the commissioners asked a ton of very dry questions. One question on this, and it relates to um, that table 8.3.E2 from your application. I mean, really dry. I think in Ernest Direct at page 56, he talks about the relationship between U.S. light refined product demand and refinery crude oil runs. Only to be outdone by this one. I don't see other information in the record except these references to that delta between those two numbers. Help me understand. So lots and lots of tedious discussion in a really hot, stuffy, crowded room. All the reporters were crammed in a little corner. To be totally honest, there were times it was hard for me to keep my eyes open. But this stuff is all really important because the commissioners can't just vote their opinions. There are specific state laws they have to follow that spell out exactly what factors they have to consider. There are two main questions they have to answer. Would denying the pipeline hurt the adequacy, reliability, or efficiency of oil supply? And then they have to apply a kind of balancing test. Are the consequences to society of not approving the pipeline greater than the consequences of approving it? And we'll go ahead and get started if people want to grab a chair. Finally, on the fifth day of hearings, they were ready to deliberate. To answer those questions, they were ready to decide on line three. And this morning was anything but boring. One by one, starting with Commissioner Katie Sieben, they laid out what they were thinking. For me, it's so tough because there's no good outcome where I can rest easy at night knowing I made the right decision with the facts available. It was pretty obvious that this was going to be a really hard decision. As more commissioners talked, it became clear they were not willing to accept the risk of allowing Enbridge's existing Line 3 to continue operating. Because Enbridge had said it would continue to use it for at least another 11 years if the state rejected its plan. And the commission didn't have the authority to make them stop. But I believe in the end, the party's points that they were Here's the chair of the commission, Nancy Lang. ...concluded that these do not negate the applicant's detailed projections. Excuse me. She grabbed a handful of tissues. The room was totally silent. I mean, this is a group of people who spend most of their time deciding on issues like natural gas rate increases. Three of them actually choked up, explaining how agonizing this decision was on this oil pipeline. At the end of the day, I had to ask myself, how would I feel if I woke up in five years and I had said no to this pipeline and there was a leak somewhere that implicated natural resources or human life or cultural resources. It's just too great a cost for me to have accepted. Commissioner Dan Lipschultz put it bluntly. It feels like a gun to our head that somehow compels us to approve a new line because of the risks and the real risks of that existing pipeline and the problems that could occur. But when I think about that, all I can say is the gun is real and it's loaded. So they did decide. 
the benefits of a new pipeline outweighed the risks of having the old pipeline continue to operate. The commissioners agreed with pipeline opponents that Minnesota refineries didn't need the oil, but they said Enbridge showed there is global demand for the oil Line 3 would carry from Canada, and there's not enough space on the current pipeline to meet that demand. Many of them also agreed that approving the pipeline would have climate change impacts. Lipschultz almost seemed to suggest he wanted to say no, but felt that he couldn't. We don't have broad policy authority here to decide what we think is right. We have the authority to decide what the law requires on the record given to us. But that didn't appease opponents in the crowd. Shame on you! Akilah Sanders-Reed is one of the youth interveners. She stood and yelled at the commissioners. Her face was quivering. Shame on you cowards! She walked out of the room, and other people fighting the pipeline quickly followed. Supporters stayed seated. It almost seemed like they weren't sure how to appropriately show their emotion. I rushed outside and caught up with Akilah a few minutes later. She was still shaken. It was worse than I could have imagined. The way that those commissioners looked us in the eye and said that they didn't have the guts to make a good decision right now, that they might in the future, but they couldn't do it today, and that it was up to us to do more work is absolutely unacceptable. Can we come together? Can we come together? A bunch of pipeline opponents huddled for an impromptu rally. Andy Pearson with Minnesota 350 tried to fire them up. We're all feeling a lot of things right now. I know I am, and if you see that in my voice or my eyes, know that that's because we have invested everything we've got in this fight, and we are not going to give it up. It was intense. I felt drained from the meeting and feeling all the emotion afterwards. I went back inside. The hearing resumed, and it went on for several more hours. The commission eventually approved what's called a certificate of need for Line 3. They also selected a route for it, largely along the path that Enbridge wanted. And what was so striking about the hearing is that you could see this big tug of war we've been talking about between our reliance on oil and the climate implications of burning that oil and how to deal with that, you could see that play out in real time. It's pretty glum here, and I just wanted to talk about... Just before they cast their official votes, Commissioner Dan Lipschultz turned and spoke directly to the youth climate interveners. I wanted to provide some a more positive perspective as we look forward, um, as hard as that might be because it's your future more than ours. These young people had done something that might not be totally unprecedented, but was pretty unusual. They won a seat at the table to articulate their concerns about the climate change implications of this project. It's still pretty rare, but people who watch these things say you're starting to see this kind of thing happen in other places around the country. And um, you, you have a great opportunity if you do this right, to make a difference. And you've already made a difference. And let me say this. Um, we're not going to address the problem by addressing pipelines. We're going to address it by addressing demand so that pipelines aren't needed anymore. But we at the commission can only do so much. It's really, at the end of the day, up to policymakers at the legislature, the executive branch, to push and push Hard. Those policy changes, he said, are what's needed to drive changes in the transportation sector and push the demand for oil down. That's my message of hope. 
um, in what I think for a lot of folks in this room is, is a difficult moment here, as it is for all of us. He said that's what's happened in the electricity sector. States like Minnesota pass laws requiring utilities to generate a percentage of their power from wind and solar. Now that change is happening, even faster than most people imagined. But the youth climate interveners were not interested in that message of hope. Incremental change that optimistically hopes we may someday move toward renewable energy isn't enough. Here's Akila Sanders' read again. This transition to renewable energy was supposed to start before any of the youth climate interveners were born. And I think that's an important part of why we came to these pipeline cases, that it is the logical, obvious thing for our governments to be doing, for our decision makers to be doing, to stop making 60-year investments in fossil fuel infrastructure, while at the same time saying they want to take action on climate change. That's inconsistent and directly contradictory. But for all the impatience that Aquila and other opponents show about this, on some level, there's not that much disagreement over what needs to change. Most people agree we need to transition to renewable energy. The real fight is over how fast we have to make that shift to stave off potentially disastrous climate change effects. Even Enbridge knows that change is coming. Starting at the highest level, it's very, very difficult for you or I to sit here and say a greener energy future is bad. This is Guy Jarvis. He's president of Enbridge's Liquid Pipelines Group. He came to St. Paul for the PUC hearings. We agree. A greener energy future will be better for everybody. The challenge with that is the time it's going to take us to get there, what it's going to cost. He says as long as people need oil, they're going to provide it. One of the commissioners made it very clear in, in the hearing that this really isn't about the pipelines, it's about the demand. It's about the consumers and the choices that they're making. And as long as they're making those choices um, for either natural gas or crude oil, you know, we're going to be in that game. Enbridge is investing in renewable energy, but its core business is still transporting fossil fuels, oil and natural gas. We believe in, a, in the transition, uh, but we believe it's going to take a long time. That's not fast enough for the people fighting Line 3 and other pipelines around the country. They know policy changes are needed to help drive down oil demand, to replace gas guzzlers with electric vehicles powered by solar panels. But right now, those changes aren't happening. So activists see only one remaining choice, to protest. So get used to hearing scenes like this in your evening news. Hundreds of pipeline protesters gathered in front of Science World last night, determined to send a strong message to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Video arrest at a protest against the Bayou Bridge Pipeline today in Calcasieu Parish. I believe that we will win. Constance Smith has more of the pipeline protests that keep growing. This is the playbook. Climate change activists don't believe the planet can wait for the slow wheels of public policy to turn. And if they can't win at the Public Utilities Commission, then their last resort is to protest, to grab the public's attention. That doesn't always succeed in stopping pipelines, but it's worked in a different sense. If people hadn't trespassed at the White House over Keystone XL or camped on the prairie at Standing Rock, then we probably wouldn't have seen government bureaucrats crying over Line 3. Their challenge now is to convince the people in the middle, those of us who aren't chaining ourselves to construction equipment or wearing those bright green shirts at public meetings, to try to shape public opinion, for better or for worse, to inform the next policy decision. 
And so, the morning after the Minnesota Public Utilities Commission approved the Line 3 oil pipeline, the fight the opponents had promised, it started. Water protectors, you are welcome! Come and defend our lands, our treaty lands! Enbridge, you're in our territory, you're in my territory! You do not have permission to cross treaty territories! Aho! Yeah. About 20 people traveled to a remote part of Minnesota, about two hours north of St. Paul, near the Fond du Lac Reservation, on land where the Ojibwe once lived, right along the Minnesota-Wisconsin border, where the new Line 3 will cross. Some of the youth climate interveners were there. So was Winona LaDuke. We will be out on this line, and we will stop this in the regulatory process, we will stop this in the legal process, and we will stop this with our bodies. So this is where the battle in Minnesota is headed. The Line 3 saga isn't over. Opponents are planning to file legal appeals, and Enbridge still has to obtain a bunch of other permits. But none are expected to be as difficult as the approval from the Public Utilities Commission. Enbridge plans to begin construction early next year and have the new Line 3 operating before the end of 2019. But before that construction starts, LeDuc and others are putting the call out for others to join them to try to stop the pipeline. This is Minnesota's Standing Rock. And so the people of Minnesota and the Anishinaabe people are going to have to stand here. And we're going to stand for what is right, our water and our future generations. And we're not afraid. We're upset with the state, but we're not afraid. Rivers of Oil is a production of Minnesota Public Radio News. It's produced by me, Dan Crocker, and Julie Seipel. Bill Wareham is our editor. Veronica Rodriguez engineered this episode, and Cody Nelson is our associate producer. He also composed our theme music. Elizabeth Dunbar helped report this episode. She also helped us understand a lot of the climate change issues around pipelines. And before we get to the rest of the credits, a request— We want to make more podcasts that delve into some of these big issues. So if you've liked this podcast, if you found it helpful, or if you learned something, or if you have any suggestions, let us know. Post a review on iTunes or tweet us at Rivers of Oil NPR. Okay, now back to the rest of the people who made this podcast possible. Slajana Drakovich designed our logo. Thanks to Johnny Vince Evans for all his help in mixing this podcast. And thanks to everyone who provided advice and guidance, especially Tracy Mumford, the podcast whisperer, and Curtis Gilbert. Thanks to the NPR Newsroom for filling in for us while we worked on this project. Meg Martin is our managing editor of Projects and Podcasts. As we said, the story of pipelines in Minnesota is not over. If you'd like to follow the developments in the Line 3 story, follow us on Twitter at Rivers of Oil NPR and at nprnews.org.